What's happening in the world right now, coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. The DeSantis campaign isn't letting any launch day tech troubles cramp its style. To the Twitter spaces crash, it says, help us break Washington next. The sons of Mexican drug lord El Chapo are now running their father's cartel while facing sanctions from the U.S. We take a look inside their fentanyl empire. Representative Jim Jordan is seeking a response from Attorney General Merrick Garland. He wants to know why a whistleblower was removed from the Hunter Biden investigation. A passenger opened the cabin door during a flight in South Korea. The plane landed safely, but some were slightly injured. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his presidential campaign. They have flipped the script on his campaign launch tech glitches. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what they're saying. The largest crowd ever tried to sign into the Twitter Spaces event and crashed it. DeSantis took pride in the huge audience. His campaign had t-shirts for sale the next day with slogans like, DeSantis breaks systems, the internet, the deep state, corporate media, woke indoctrination, help us break Washington next. His team said the launch and his videos received 30 million views in 15 hours, with over $8 million raised within a day. PayPal co-founder David Sachs co-hosted the event with Elon Musk. Sachs praised DeSantis on Fox News for staying cool and unflappable under the high-stakes pressure. Really, I think, made a great impression as someone who doesn't get thrown off his game very easily. Meanwhile, DeSantis responded on Newsmax to attacks trying to label him an establishment Republican. How many establishment Republicans uh, would have stood up against Disney? How many establishment Republicans would have signed the bill that I just signed to ban land purchases from people affiliated with the CCP in the state of Florida? DeSantis also wondered how many establishment Republicans would have banned cross-sex surgeries for minors and sent illegal migrants to Martha's Vineyard. On every issue that kind of the old guard of the Republican Party would have shied away from in a New York minute, I'm not only leaning into them, I'm winning against the media and against the left. DeSantis had also stated that he would fire FBI Director Christopher Wray on day one if elected president. Former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci disagrees with that strategy. A more sensible strategy, a more presidential look would be that I respect the rule of law, I will meet with everybody and evaluate the personnel. In related news, Mexican President López Obrador made it clear on Thursday that DeSantis is not his top choice. What he enforced in Florida, an anti-immigrant policy. I wish the Hispanics of Florida wake up and don't give him a single vote. DeSantis has championed border security and derided so-called sanctuary cities. The Florida governor says he would impose strong controls on illegal immigration if elected president. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. With the presidential election picking up steam, how is tech going to impact voters? We bring in an expert who analyzes the potential for disinformation, some solutions to ensure fair elections, and what areas tech can be used ethically. Joining me now is Hans von Spakovsky, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Hans, I'm so glad you could make it on the show today. Sure, thanks for having me. In this era of artificial intelligence, are there concerns right. that this technology can be used to prevent or carry out election fraud? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm very worried about that. In particular, I'm, I'm worried. You know, there's there's the kind of fraud that steals votes, but there's also the kind of fraud that fools voters. And I would point out to you uh, two relatively recent scandals. I mean, one is the fake Steele dossier that was created as political disinformation to cause problems for Donald Trump. Uh, and the other is, remember, 2004, when George Bush was running for president, someone created fake National Guard reports, supposedly from his commander, that were very critical of him. And the only way it was determined that these were fake was because the hoax, the huckster who created them used a font that's part of the Word software program. And that was not a font that was available uh, in the IBM Selectric typewriters at the time that Bush was in the National Guard. The point of all this is that with AI, these kind of fake claims, hoaxes, are going to get even more sophisticated and even tougher to uh, uh, prove that they're not real, particularly the kind of AI that can create fake photos and things like that. So I, I think we're entering a period of dangerous uh, political disinformation, certainly about candidates. It's going to get much worse. And even people who are not tech whizzes can jump on AI and do these exactly. kind of things. Is there anything that can be done here? Well, you know, since technology is the problem, technology has to be the solution. And the, the solution here is going to be developing uh, AI technology that can figure out when things have been fake, when they have been phonied up. Now, I would think that is the kind of sophisticated software that, in particular, our intelligence agencies should be working on and developing, because those are the kind of tools, for example, that foreign adversaries will, will use against us. Yeah, so not just something from within, but also from exactly. other countries, right? right? And these intelligencies would be wise to start developing these things. Now, from the Brookings Institute, they say that candidates may use AI to zero in on these swing voters instead of wasting money on people who have already made up their minds. Right. And this is done through machines analyzing people's microdata from these brokers and looking at their reading, their political behavior. Do you see this as just fair game, or are there any concerns here? No, I think that's fair game. It's not any different from the fact that, as you know, the big social... Uh, platforms all keep track of the kind of searches each of us does on the internet every day, and they use that to target us with specific advertising that's based on our search patterns. So uh, the only thing that's going to be happening here is the candidates and political parties will be adopting the very same techniques that corporations are now using. And while we're on the topic here, Hans, what do you make of the RNC using this AI-generated video to criticize President Biden? <laughs> well, that's a very uh, interesting and actually innovative use of, of this artificial uh, intelligence. I mean, look, when you're the president, when you are an elected um, politician, uh, that makes you fair game for criticism, whether it's an individual coming up with it or whether they're using sophisticated computer technology to create it. Excellent analysis. Hans von Spakovsky, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It is always great to hear from you. Thanks for having me. In a rare display of bipartisanship, President Biden is backing House Republicans' HALT Fentanyl Act. The bill permanently designates fentanyl-like substances among the most dangerous drugs, but some lawmakers tell NTD that more needs to be done to counter the fentanyl crisis. NTD's Melina Wisecup has the details from Capitol Hill. 
More than 150 people die every day from overdosing on fentanyl. The epidemic is described by the DEA as the deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered. And in an attempt to combat this, the House passed a bill that would list fentanyl as a Schedule One narcotic. And Republicans say that there are more aspects to consider. It hasn't always been fentanyl, but what has been one of the common denominators in the problem is what's going on at our border and how the drugs get into this country. The whole, the whole drug problem is multifaceted and we need to address it. You got to deal with it at the source, which is our southern border. It's, that's how it's getting in. And so I would say even though this bill is important, the most serious bill is our border security package that we passed a couple of weeks ago. There were many Democrats who joined with Republicans to support this bill, although one of them told me that they would have liked to have seen some changes to it, but he described this issue as too serious to delay action on. This is not the way I would write the bill, but since I know it's a work in progress and something that's so devastating, Congress needs to take action. And President Biden does support this GOP-led bill, writing in a statement that the act includes critical components for the administration's plan to combat the supply of illicit fentanyl. The bill passed with 289 yes votes, while 132 Democrats and one Republican opposed it. Now, some are concerned about using criminal penalties to combat what they describe as a public health crisis. Mandatory minimums just don't work. Uh, you need to have... Uh circumstances differ from case to case. We know that China plays a role in trafficking this illegal fentanyl. Can you give our audience an understanding of to what level does China play in trafficking this fentanyl and is there a way you all can hold the regime accountable for this? Yeah, no, they play a big role. Well, I call it Xi Jinping's gang. To me, it almost seems like a criminal enterprise of what they're utilizing to try to get into the United States because they know of the havoc that it, it creates. The bill is now headed over to the Senate where it could be tweaked before final passage in both chambers and then off to the White House where the president is expected to sign it. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The four sons of Mexican drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman were once mocked as entitled princelings. They are collectively known as Los Chapitos, or the Little Chapos, yet the brothers have allegedly resuscitated a drug empire left by their father after he was locked behind U.S. bars. Here's the story. Once mocked by adversaries as entitled princelings, the four sons of jailed Mexican drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman have resuscitated a drug empire by embracing a new line of synthetic drugs. The brothers are collectively known as Los Chapitos, or the Little Chapos, and their early bet on fentanyl, a synthetic opioid 50 times more powerful than heroin, allegedly helped supercharge an opioid epidemic in the United States. Not everyone believed Los Chapitos could take the reins of the Sinaloa drug cartel empire built by their notorious father. Mike V. Hill is the former chief of international operations for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Even though they were members of the Sinaloa cartel that were brought in by the father, the rest of the cartel had very little respect for them because they looked at them as spoiled brats who had never gotten their hands dirty like everybody else. The Guzman siblings were once only notable as minor social media celebrities who flaunted their wealth, and their futures were far from certain since their father's latest arrest. But last month, U.S. authorities laid out extensive new charges against the brothers in indictments and upped bounties for two of the siblings to $10 million apiece. 
cementing their status among the world's most powerful and wanted drug lords. The siblings deny any criminal involvement. Los Chapitos, for the first time ever, released a public letter last week denying claims that they traffic fentanyl and rebutting allegations made by U.S. officials in a recent Washington press conference. But law enforcement sources say that after his father's arrest in 2016 and extradition in 2017, the youngest son, Ovidio Guzman, became a high-level leader in the cartel. And Mexican sources say the new generation has embraced violence as a means of control. The Chapitos have to maintain a reputation so they are much more violent than their father was because they have to show other members of the cartel that they have a reputation where they're going to take violent action if they have to. They're not going to be, you know, wimps and just go along with the flow. Mexico's army did ultimately apprehend Ovidio Guzman earlier this year by sending hundreds of troops to raid one of his homes in rural Sinaloa. He's now in a maximum security lockup near Mexico City. But the other brothers are still running a drug empire, according to U.S. officials. The cartel can turn $800 worth of precursor chemicals into fentanyl pills or powder that reap profits as high as $640,000, according to one of the April indictments. Back in the States, why was an IRS whistleblower removed from the investigation into Hunter Biden? The head of the House Judiciary Committee is calling on the Attorney General to explain. The House Committee is looking into allegations of possible political interference in the investigation of Hunter Biden's business dealings. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan addressed a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, which says in part he has serious concerns about the timing of the removal of the agent and an IRS investigative team. The attorney for the whistleblower says the whistleblower and the team were removed from the case after they reported irregularities to prosecutors. Jordan is asking the Justice Department to provide a series of documents explaining their dismissal by June 8th. The Attorney General's office and the IRS did not immediately reply to a request for comment. A Texas House committee voted unanimously Thursday to recommend impeachment of Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton. The General Investigating Committee took the vote a day after hearing lengthy testimony Paxton allegedly abused his office to benefit a multimillionaire who was a major donor to him. Paxton has denied all wrongdoing. It's not immediately clear when the full House will consider the impeachment recommendation. The regular legislative session is set to conclude on Monday. And coming up, it's Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial beginning of summer. We'll take a look at how Americans are traveling this year. New inflation data released today. Prices are rising faster than expected. We'll have more for you in just a moment right here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. We're continuing our coverage with a mid-air incident today in South Korea. A passenger opened the cabin door during a flight. The gushing airflow slightly injured some on board. Footage shows wind rushing in through the open door. According to a spokesman for Asiana Airlines, a male passenger sitting next to the emergency door opened the lid and pulled the lever. 
That was more than 600 feet above the ground just minutes before landing. The flight touched down safely in South Korea with no casualties, but nine people suffered breathing problems and were taken to a nearby hospital. Authorities say they have put one passenger in custody. With Memorial Day weekend comes the unofficial beginning of summer and summer travel season. Let's take a look at how Americans are traveling this year. Memorial Day weekend is just the start of what's going to be a very busy summer travel season. Los Angeles' LAX airport is preparing for more travelers this year. AAA is expecting this to be the third busiest Memorial Day weekend since it started documenting holiday travel stats back in 2000. Prices this year are expected to be lower than they were a year ago. July is going to be our busiest month that we're projecting more than 7 million passengers to use the airport. This year's travel season is coming amidst an increase of flight delays and cancellations across the U.S. Yeah, five years ago, the airport wasn't anything like it. But our plane and, seems uh, to be on time. Yeah, so that's, that's always good. <laughs> I uh, checked last night. I did the, as soon as the 24-hour uh, check-in hit, I like immediately jumped on it. Transportation department figures show airlines have hired 6% more workers than before the pandemic to keep up with the demand. Although prices are expected to drop compared to last year, airfare overall is still expected to be 4% higher than pre-pandemic levels. Way more expensive domestically, way more expensive. I looked at flights internationally, it's actually cheaper to fly internationally and to stay at a hotel internationally than it was domestically. Everything's more expensive, tickets are more expensive, so it's kind of hard to fit more than one trip in a year at this point. At the same time, gas prices are lower than they were a year ago, causing some to choose the road over the skies. We're hovering in the 350, 355 range for gasoline prices for the national average. So that's very advantageous for people who are going to be going by car this year. AAA predicts that almost 40 million Americans will drive at least 50 miles from home this weekend. That's an increase of more than 2 million from Memorial Day last year, however still below pre-pandemic numbers in 2019. It appears more Americans are leaving town for the Memorial Day weekend. The TSA on Thursday processed the highest number of air travelers since Thanksgiving 2019, more than 2.6 million people. It was the busiest air travel day since the pandemic, and today is expected to be even busier. The head of the TSA says he expects the agency to screen more than 10 million people this weekend. And highways are expected to be very busy, too, with AAA predicting more than 37 million Americans hitting the road for Memorial Day travel. New inflation data is out today. Prices increased higher than expected last month. Should consumers be worried? Let's take a look. Inflation rose above expectations last month. That's according to a key inflation measure released Friday by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. The Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index increased at a faster pace in April compared to March. On a year-over-year basis, the PCE price index also ticked up higher than before. This shows that inflation pressures remain high. Should consumers be concerned about this? Here's senior analyst at FX Street, Joseph Trevisani. Having an up-and-down by small amounts in a declining or even a rising um, inflation is not at all unusual. In the past year, the PCE has ticked up twice, one-tenth of a percent two times. It's a little bit more this time, 0.2%. Nonetheless, it's not a real issue. Data today also showed that consumers are still spending. 
consumer spending accelerated at its fastest rate in nearly two years in the first quarter. Personal spending was up 0.8%, um, they expected 0.4%. I think you're seeing two things here. One, everybody still has jobs and the job market is still quite strong and employment, the rate of employment is very low. And I think, so that's one reason consumers are spending, they have jobs. Consumer spending is also boosting the economy's growth prospects for the second quarter. Sticky inflation and resilient consumer spending could have the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates higher for some time. So if you don't get the reduction in the economy, the Fed would have no reason, I think, to cut rates. If the economy does not go into recession, we don't get a slowdown, that means that the economy is tolerating the rate uh, structure as it is now. In terms of further rate hikes, Fed officials generally agreed that the need for hikes had become less certain, but financial markets currently are split on whether there's going to be a rate increase at the June 14th Fed meeting. Millions of iPhone users have been advised to update their operating systems to iOS 16.5. The upgrade fixes several vulnerabilities that may be targeted by malicious actors and malware. Apple says the latest update addresses about 40 problems and bugs. That includes three key security issues that may be actively exploited. The problems are related to the WebKit browser engine and specific iPhone and iPad models. Security experts recommend doing the update to protect against potential attacks. That especially goes for high-profile users like politicians and those in the media. Now we zoom in on critical race theory and the extent to which it's reaching the minds of pupils across the U.S. Reports say it's in all levels of education and in a variety of specializations. I wanted to learn more about the prevalence of this ideology, so I spoke with an academic who has been following this very closely. Joining us now is Professor William Jacobson at Cornell University. Bill, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Based on your research to expose critical race theory in universities, how pervasive is this theory in the U.S. in terms of elite K-12 through schools as well as medical schools? Well, at criticalrace.org is the website where we track these things, and we have tracked it, and it's almost every place. I can't say it's every place, but almost every place critical race theory in one form or another, whether it's called critical race theory or it's called diversity, equity, inclusion, or it's called Ibram Kendi's anti-racism um, or you know white fragility, whatever you want to call it, in various forms, it's just about everywhere. Critics of the theory say that it divides people into the groups of the oppressors and the oppressed, and it leads to intolerance. In your view, what concerns are there having this theory being taught in schools across the nation? Well, we've seen it and we've documented it clearly that it pits students against each other based on skin color, it pits students against their teachers, pits students against their parents, and it pits students against their country. One example we saw and we've reported on is in the Providence school system, a teacher who witnessed this happen. And in the course of a year, the students went from standing for the Pledge of Allegiance to refusing to stand and to calling her America because she's white and they're not, and they're not America. So it turns students against the country, against everything. Well, you've done a, a wide range of research here. Can you compare and contrast the two coasts, California and also Florida in this respect? Well, Florida is really taking the lead in pushing back against this at every level. It's the model, if you will. And regardless of who you want for president, Ron DeSantis has seized on a tactic that I think is very effective, which is defunding 
the DEI bureaucracy. And that's something that we'll see, I think, maybe in Texas and other red states. California, New York are heading in exactly the opposite direction. So we have this um, unique phenomenon developing of a divide in the country between the states heavily invested in CRT, which are mostly the deep blue states, and the states pushing back against it, which are mostly the red states. Well, thanks for breaking down some of these polar opposites in terms of the states here. Jonathan Butcher, an education researcher at the Heritage Foundation, he found that CRT is in veterinary schools and even music teachers are using it. Why is that? Yeah, well, I, you know, in terms of the veterinary schools, um, we did that research and I think that uh, it's part of an ideology and it doesn't really matter where it is. It's an ideology of demonizing the country, of portraying us as inherently and irredeemably bad. So they don't really care where they're doing it. And that's why at criticalrace.org, we have databases on colleges, elite K through 12, veterinary schools, the military academies, medical schools, and you see the same pattern everywhere. It's a pattern meant to tear down the existing system. So they don't care where it is they're tearing it down. They want to tear it down everywhere. So you've done a lot of work to compile this database. What do you think needs to be done in this respect? Well, again, I think there, there, you need to push back where you can. And, and unfortunately, that's mostly going to be red and some purple states. Blue states, I don't see much chance for improvement unless there's a change in the federal government. So there's uh, a change for the next president. The executive branch has enormous power to implement change. And so really, that's our best hope is a change in the executive branch. Cornell Professor William Jacobson, thank you so much for bringing us this information. Great, thank you for having me on. After the break, we bring you a first in the nation. New Bedford, Massachusetts is now building a commercial offshore wind farm. Once completed, the plant could power hundreds of thousands of American homes. Microsoft recently warned that China is hacking America's critical infrastructure. So how vulnerable is U.S. infrastructure and what's the absolute worst that can happen? We'll have those details for you when we return. A Massachusetts city is setting a milestone for the nation's offshore wind industry. New Bedford once lit up the world with its whale oil. Now it's on track to build one of America's first commercial offshore wind farms. Developer Vineyard Wind plans to build a 62-turbine wind farm 15 miles off the Massachusetts coast. A cargo ship arrived at the port of New Bedford this week, loaded with wind turbine tower sections from Portugal. The turbines will stand more than 850 feet tall once completed in the summer. The plant is expected to produce 800 megawatts of electricity starting this year. That's enough to power more than 400,000 homes. Critics point out that the farms are expensive to maintain and could have a negative effect on wildlife. There is a poetic coming about for New Bedford. We were the center of the, of the energy industry in the 19th century as the leading whaling port in the world. And now here we are in this brand new energy industry leading the way. President Biden has, uh, has a, a, a very ambitious target of having 30 gigawatt of offshore wind by 2030. 
uh, we are about uh, we are about one thirtieth of that, so we uh, we, are, we are the first step, but a very important step that I hope will show the way that it is possible to construct offshore wind. It's possible to coexist with uh, with all of the stakeholders here in 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 the sea. Developers are pouring millions of dollars into projects to upgrade ports along the East Coast. These include sites in New Bedford, Connecticut, New London, Brooklyn, New York, and Portsmouth, Virginia. Also on the East Coast, Georgia is building two new nuclear reactors. They're the first two built from scratch in the United States in decades, and potentially the most expensive ever built. The new reactors join two older ones already in the state. Unit 3 began generating electricity in March. It's set to reach commercial operation in June. By then, Georgia's power's 2.7 million customers will start paying more, almost $4 extra per month. It remains to be settled how much taxpayers will pay for the two reactors in total. We look at things on a long-term horizon, and so to have this resource that can be available for some 60 to 80 years is going to be great value to our customers today, but also great value to our customers and to the economy for a long, long time. Georgia's five elected public service commissioners approved the rate increase in 2021, but the bill's final tally won't come until Unit 4 is completed. At that point, the commission will decide how much of Georgia Power's spending was prudent. The U.S. Navy is offering assistance to Guam's typhoon recovery efforts. The Navy's USS Nimitz aircraft carrier strike group is now sailing to the Pacific Island. The carrier, a cruiser, and a destroyer are due to arrive in Guam in three or four days. Earlier this week, a typhoon Mauer, the most powerful storm of the year globally, made landfall on the island. High winds tore off roofs, flipped vehicles, and smashed trees. Heavy rains flooded the island's international airport. A number of residents remain without power and utilities. There are no immediate reports of injuries or fatalities, but the extent of damage is hard to assess early on. Microsoft recently warned that China has hacked critical U.S. infrastructure across numerous sectors, including communications, manufacturing, and transportation. The company believes China wants to spy on the U.S. for as long as possible. So how vulnerable is America's infrastructure, and what's the worst that could possibly happen? NTD's Fake Quarter looks into it. Microsoft says China has hacked America's critical infrastructure across multiple sectors. This includes the communications, manufacturing, utility, transportation, construction, maritime, government, information technology, and education sectors. Different sectors are have different levels of vulnerability, but some are some are in fact very vulnerable to attacks. They weren't necessarily designed with security in mind. They weren't necessarily designed to be internet facing. David Ratner is the CEO of cybersecurity firm Hyas. He says America's infrastructure is quickly becoming more and more secure. But bad actors are constantly figuring out new and creative ways to break in. These attacks uh, can actually have significant devastating impact on human lives as well as the general economy. The worst that can happen is actually human death, right? A cybersecurity attack uh, on a hospital could in fact cause human death and a cyber attack on a water treatment plant could uh, result in impure or dangerous water being provided to, you know, 
thousands or millions of citizens. Ratner says that individual citizens really can't do much regarding these infrastructure attacks. But he says the government's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, is working to enhance America's cybersecurity. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Still to come, we'll be looking at the EU's plans to regulate AI and whether other countries will follow suit. And mental health issues among teenagers and children are on the rise. We hear from French psychologists who say they are facing a silent pandemic of depression on a scale they haven't seen before. More on that after the break. Welcome back. We have some Europe coverage for you. French judges yesterday charged five soldiers for not assisting people over the sinking of a small boat in the English Channel in November 2021. AFP news agency reported that those charged include three women and two men on duty at the Channel Rescue Center at the time. 27 migrants lost their lives in the incident. It was the worst disaster on record involving migrants in the narrow seaway separating the UK from mainland Europe. In the wake of the accident, Paris and London traded blame. A French migrant charity filed a complaint shortly after the tragedy, saying the migrants called both French and British authorities. But help was only sent out when a French fisherman raised the alert more than 10 hours later. Germany's economy fell into recession in early 2023 after household spending in Europe's biggest economy succumbed to the pressures of high inflation. Official figures released yesterday show that Germany's economy shrank by 0.3% in the first three months of the year. This follows a drop of 0.5% during the last quarter of 2022. A recession is commonly defined as two successive quarters of contraction. Household consumption was down over 1%. Government spending also decreased significantly by nearly 5%. The recession was less severe than some expected, given Germany's previous dependency on Russia for energy. Also in Germany, a climate activist group vows to continue after police raided properties linked to the group earlier this week. A spokesperson for Last Generation said the police searches had hit the group and its supporters hard. Wednesday's searches aimed to secure evidence on the membership structure of the group and on its financing. Munich prosecutors said the people under investigation are accused of organizing and promoting a campaign to finance further criminal offenses and collect at least $1.5 million. Members of Last Generation have repeatedly blocked roads across Germany in an effort to pressure the government over climate change policies. Their actions have contributed to a culture war in the country well known for its love of cars. EU lawmakers are coming closer to regulating artificial intelligence. It would be the world's first ever rules on AI. It comes as many have raised concerns over the technology's risk to humanity. NTD's Jane Worrell has more for us. Many are concerned over just how fast AI is developing. EU lawmakers recently agreed on a draft of rules to regulate the technology. Dragos Tudoraki is one of the members of the European Parliament. He's been leading the efforts. What is the best approach uh, to actually put rules around a technology that is constantly shifting, that is constantly evolving, that is is not that easy to grasp like a piece of machinery 
where you know exactly what it does. It was much harder, much more complex to figure out what is the best approach to, 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 to put regulation in place. Under the new rules, AI generators like ChatGPT would be required to publish summaries of copyrighted materials used for training, meaning content creators would be paid for their work. Requirements for providers and users would be adjusted depending on the level of risk the AI can generate. Systems with an unacceptable level of risk will face outright bans. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important and very welcome uh, um, addition to the, uh, to the regulation. It is going to ban specifically technology that, that is used on real-time recognition, uh, facial recognition. So are other countries likely to follow suit? Researchers gave evidence to the British Parliament earlier this year, saying rogue AI could kill everyone and so it needs to be regulated. To the extent that the EU successfully manages to, to protect relevant interests without um, kneecapping themselves technologically, um, I think other countries will follow suit. Um, and I think that's a, an admirable goal that they're, that they're pursuing. But the EU rules could also have a different effect. So it could actually prompt, uh, you could call it the, like a race to the bottom on, on regulation. Or some countries are actually going to try to, to bring in AI investment um, because they're saying, oh, don't go to Europe. They're regulating things. Chudiraki says having rules doesn't mean stalling innovation or investment. A group of seven nations this month said that while each country's approach to AI regulation may vary, the technology should be in line with shared democratic values. EU lawmakers are expected to vote on the final form of the AI Act in June. It could be a couple of years before the EU rules come into force, but we'll certainly be hearing a lot more about AI in the coming months. Jane Worrell, NTD News. More on tech, Elon Musk's brain implant company Neuralink said yesterday it had been given a green light from the FDA to kickstart its first clinical study in humans. It's a milestone for Neuralink after earlier struggles to gain approval. Here's the story. On at least four occasions since 2019, Musk has said his medical device company would begin human trials for brain implants to treat severe conditions such as paralysis and blindness. Yet the company only sought Food and Drug Administration approval in early 2022 and the agency rejected the application, sources linked to the company told Reuters in March. The sources said the FDA had pointed out several concerns to Neuralink that needed to be addressed before sanctioning human trials. They include the device's battery, as well as safety issues surrounding its wires and the protection of brain tissue. Thursday's FDA approval comes as U.S. lawmakers are urging regulators to investigate the oversight of animal testing at Neuralink. The company has already been the subject of federal probes, including at least one linked to animal testing and treatment. In a tweet on Thursday, Neuralink said it was excited to share the news of the approval, but that it's not yet recruiting for a clinical trial. Over the years, Musk has publicly outlined an ambitious plan for Neuralink. He envisions its devices to cure a range of conditions from obesity, autism, depression, schizophrenia, to enabling web browsing and even telepathy. And that both disabled and healthy individuals would be swiftly getting surgical implants at local centers. Neuralink and the FDA did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. And some background on this, Musk made headlines late last year when he said he'd be willing to implant the brain implants in his children. 
Experts have told the Epic Times there could be ethical, safety, security, privacy, and even philosophical issues when it comes to Neuralink's goals of having healthy people interact directly with the technology via the mind. And speaking of the mind, there's a rise of mental issues in teenagers and children across the developed world. At a Paris meeting, psychologists and psychiatrists recently traced this silent pandemic back to social distancing and other pandemic measures. Entities France correspondent David Vives has the story. The trend is alarming. The French agency in charge of public health found that cases of depression and suicidal thoughts have sharply increased in teenagers in early 2022, compared with the previous year. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, has also found that in early 2021, across the developed world, mental health issues among this age group have more than doubled since the onset of the COVID pandemic. Psychologist Amandine Lafargue says her phone hasn't stopped ringing since 2020. We're seeing new symptoms in patients and an explosion in the number of appointments. Really, we're talking about a 600% increase in appointments in child psychiatry and an uptick in suicide attempts, something that's new for us, which serves as a warning for us. The OECD also found that the frequency of symptoms of anxiety and depression in the United States, France and Belgium was up to 80% higher among young people than the general population. The occurrence of suicides among children is something that's exceptional. And yet, in the last two years, there has been a surge in suicides. There has been an increase in phobias in children, anxiety disorders, and things like that. And we know that in the long run and in the medium run, it can lead to more serious pathologies like schizophrenia and other types of psychosis. She said the wearing of masks and social distancing had a strong impact on young children, on how they communicate and connect to others. Despite the end of the pandemic and the government's mandatory measures, mental health issues continue to go up. Some experts have described the rise of mental disorder in the young population as a silent pandemic. Lafargue says she observed many teenagers exhibit self-harming behavior while staying quiet about it. They act without even having shared their suffering. So it's not that we will all become bad psychologists. It's that now, as they no longer have any hope that things will change, or they can no longer imagine a positive future, there's a feeling of guilt. The Pew Research Center in a recent survey found that 4 in 10 U.S. parents said they're extremely or very worried about their children struggling with anxiety or depression. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Up next, driverless street sweepers may soon hit the roads. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey is testing them now. Stay tuned for that story in just a moment. Welcome back. You might find this interesting. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey is testing electric driverless street sweepers. The robot cleaners will sweep parking lots, warehouses, and garages at the ports for the next two weeks. NCD's Cost Temines has the story. This autonomous street cleaner named Trombia Free will be deployed at one of the United States' busiest seaports. 
Port officials say Trombia 3 will prove highly economical. Conventional Street Sweeper only, uh, currently only operates during normal business days, right, where this allows us to extend that service into the evenings, into the weekends, right, so more coverage, more bang for the buck. Finnish company Trombia CEO says the technology represents the next step from a robotic vacuum cleaner found in many homes. So parking garages, industrial lots, that's going to be a a significant growth market the next five years. The robot sweeper can pick up three to four thousand pounds of wet and dry debris. It travels two and a half miles per hour and weighs five thousand pounds. But it doesn't come cheap. Each sweeper costs four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It uses 3D LiDAR light detection and ranging sensors to help with maneuvering around people and obstacles. So far, Safety concerns and red tape have stalled the widespread use of passenger self-driving cars. But seaport officials are now testing whether the autonomous technology can be safely used in closed, controlled industrial environments. Cost MNS, NTD News. The U.S. Coast Guard has set out a special buoy to mark the start of summer. It marks a historic location near Baltimore Harbor. The crew of the cutter James Rankin placed the Francis Scott Key Memorial buoy in the Patapsco River. The navigation aid sits between the Francis Scott Key Bridge and Fort McHenry, right near the spot where Key observed the 1814 British bombardment that inspired him to write the Star-Spangled Banner. The buoy is put out each summer and removed just before winter. Scaling the world's highest peak, For the 28th time, a Nepalese man has set an all-time record for climbing Mount Everest. Kami Rita reached the summit of Mount Everest again this week. In Nepal's capital, the 53-year-old received a hero's welcome. Family members and locals gathered around him to offer him the traditional white katas. For nearly three decades, Kami Rita has climbed Mount Everest almost every year. He is one of the Sherpas who live near Everest. The ethnic group is well known for their climbing skills. They earn their living mainly by guiding foreign customers up Himalayan peaks. I am doing this not to break records, but to promote tourism in Nepal. If my health permits, I'll continue climbing next year. Mountain climbing is a key source of income in Nepal. Eight of the world's 14 highest peaks are found there. The country's climbing season ends this month with monsoon rains expected to lash the region. At an elementary school in Britain, a class of fourth graders is celebrating after the Beano comic recognized it as the nation's funniest. What happened to the math teacher's garden? It grew square roots. This joke helped the class win the Beano's annual Britain's Funniest Class competition. As part of the prize, each student has been drawn by Dennis the Menace artist Nigel Parkinson and will feature in the comic book. The winning joke will feature on the cover. The head teacher said the children had an absolute blast creating the gag and feels overjoyed to share it with the comic's readers. It's a girl. The Milwaukee County Zoo welcomes a new addition, a newborn Bactrian camel calf. And the zoo says she's healthy. The newborn weighed 88 pounds at her first neonatal exam. She's bonding well with her mother, AJ, and is getting to know her father, Stan, through a mesh fence. The two adults have three male offspring, but this is their first girl. The zoo says visitors might be able to see the family's newest addition in person, depending on weather and other factors. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us.
I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News.